Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Fix Your Sciatica podcast, where we meet with experts and clients and discuss how to manage your sciatica and low back pain without the use of medications or surgery. I'm your host, Dr. Ashley Mack, and I'm a physical therapist as well as the founder of iFixYourSciatica.com, a go-to resource for pain management. If you're joining us for the first time, thank you for listening. And if you are tuning in again, welcome back. And lastly, if you find today's episode or any of these episodes of this podcast to be helpful or insightful, please follow and rate this podcast on whatever platform you're using. The more followers and ratings we get, the more we can help people like you. And without further ado, let's get started. Most sciatica issues resolve within four to six weeks, even without medical treatment. The source for that statement is actually found in the show notes of today. But if you're outside of that window or you want faster relief, then your research brought you to this podcast or you're booked for an appointment already with a healthcare practitioner. Today's episode is going to help you get familiar with what to expect during an evaluation for sciatica pain, especially when working with a physical therapist. The goal of today is to provide you with some expectations and tips to actually help you maximize your time with the provider so that you can truly get results. Although physicians and chiropractors have their own different set of skills and evaluative practices, the system or format should be somewhat similar. In order for us physical therapists to approach problems consistently, we need to follow a system that is going to allow us to get the necessary information to provide care. The system of evaluation and treatment is the given acronym SOAP, spelled S-O-A-P. This system, again, allows us to gather information in a structured way so that we can minimize distraction, provide context, and decide the best plan of action for you, the patient. The S stands for subjective. That is, in essence, what are you experiencing? Since pain is a subjective experience, it is categorized in this manner as subjective. This is going to include the start of your symptoms, the events leading up to your symptoms, how your symptoms feel, and how they actually behave. We're getting a report from you, and you're walking us through how you developed your symptoms and how they're feeling at the point of the interview. During the subjective part of the evaluation, You'll often be asked, tell us a little bit more about what brings you in here today. What are you feeling? What are you experiencing? When did your symptoms start? And how do they feel since it started? When did it start? What makes your pain better, worse, and what doesn't change it at all? How does your pain impact your daily life? Can you describe your pain? Where is your pain located? How is the sensation in your extremities? And as you provide us with answers, we'll ask some more questions to follow up. 
This is also the time where we're going to start rolling out some red flags as well. In the past, if you've listened to other episodes, we talked about red flags, signs and symptoms that tell us that your symptoms would not respond well to movement and would require medical follow-up. And those red flags include complete numbness in your pelvic region, also known as saddle anesthesia, loss of function of your limbs, fever, sweats, or chills, nausea, or vomiting, other things, anything that just seems out of the ordinary that could be associated with the pain that you're going through. Also during the subjective, it is actually the time where it is super important to tell your provider pretty much everything. The more information you provide, the better. And on our end, the clinicians are actually trying to develop a context, a story in which your sciatica pain was started. We're trying to determine, was it truly a traumatic incident or was it due to overuse? Is there anything that you describe that doesn't make any sense? And that's where the red flags come up. And as we develop a hypothesis or an educated guess, also known as an assumption, we're going to test that hypothesis with some measurements of our own. And that brings us to the next step, the letter O, which is the objective. During the objective part of the evaluation, we are getting true measurements and data. We'll be taking range of motion assessments, and usually with sciatica, which is often associated with spinal issues, we're going to see how your spine moves. But before doing this, it is important for the provider to establish a baseline. That means what are the symptoms present when you are standing at the moment, and what are the symptoms when you are sitting in the interview itself? We'll also look at your posture to see if there are any sort of abnormalities. You've heard me in past episodes talk about how there's no such thing as perfect posture. But on the other end, it is important for us to see if there is any sort of shift or rotation in your spine, which could be affecting your symptoms. We'll also ask, we'll ask you to bend forward and touch your toes. And that's going to assess what is called spinal flexion. We're going to have you bend backwards like limbo, which is called spinal extension. I'm going to have you slide one hand down one leg, which is going to be lateral flexion, and then switch on over to the other side to see if there's any symmetries or asymmetries. And then we're also going to look at you looking over your shoulder, which is going to be assessing spinal rotation. When you're moving on your own, aka your own volition, this is what we call active range of motion. What are you capable of doing yourself? In some cases, especially if you're a person with a provider, they're also going to move and use their hands to put you in these positions on their own. And this is going to be called assessing your passive range of motion. Now, the difference between the two is when you're assessing active range of motion, it's going to give us clinicians an idea on what your muscular control is like and your movement tolerance. When we're assessing passive range of motion, it's going to give us an idea in regards to what your passive structures, your tissue structures are going to be like. And that includes the integrity of your muscles, your ligaments, and your joints. And before moving onward to any other phase of this evaluation, it is important for the provider to inform you that all the movement and all the testing is to be done within your tolerance. We should be asking you throughout this entire assessment, how do you feel during during and after the motion? How do you feel as a result? And it's totally okay to be honest. It's actually encouraged to be honest. You're not going to hurt our feelings. Because if the pain hurts you more, tell them. If you feel better after that movement assessment, let them know. If there is no change, let them know. In some cases, if it is warranted, we'll also look at your shoulders, hips, knees, and ankle range of motion to see if there's anything else missing. In some cases, we'll find some issues with that and we'll be able to address it during the session itself. 
And then after the range of motion, we'll also take a look at your strength. This is part of the assessment that helps us actually understand if there's any sort of weaknesses or muscular imbalances that need to be addressed. More often than not, there can be one or a few muscles that are weak, overstretched, overtightened, et cetera. And it is our job to determine if what we're finding is a result or the cause of your pain. We'll do sensation testing as well, especially if you're having pins and needles, diminished sensation, or complete numbness in parts of your body. And let's be clear that pins and needles or sensory differences in your extremities actually indicates that there is, in fact, an irritation of the nerve, and we need to use that as our baseline as well. We are going to take a quick break to tell you about our awesome new program called the Sciatica Protocol. If you don't have the time to see a professional, but are tired of trying to figure out this recovery on your own, then the Sciatica Protocol is for you. Harness the power of a knowledgeable physical therapist through your phone. It takes no more than seven minutes per day, and it is designed to help you recover as quickly as possible. Now, having an on-demand physical therapist can cost thousands plus hours of sessions. But with the Sciatica Protocol, you'll receive the same, if not better, customized care completely free. And why are we making this program free? Because I believe that everyone deserves to live free from pain without actually having cost be the biggest obstacle. It is simple to start and all you need to do is log into ifixyoursciatica.com forward slash the dash sciatica dash protocol and fill out the nine question quiz to begin. The link for the program is in today's show notes. You know, up until this point, we've collected your story, we looked at your range of motion, we assessed your strength, and also looked at your sensation. And all of this information is helpful for us providers to come up with the cause and the best treatment for you. But we have one more step, and that is going through what is called special testing. And so depending on what you're telling us and our findings, we might do some extra testing. For me, I often want to see how my patients, my clients, how they squat and how they pick things up from the floor and how they sit. But then there are also other tests such as the straight leg raise, which can be useful in detecting herniated discs, the slump test, which is going to be putting tension on the sciatic nerve, which can also be used as a sciatic nerve stretch and others, depending on the concentration and the expertise of the practitioner that you're working with. And these special tests will further confirm our hypothesis that was formed as the evaluation was being conducted. Now, after we gather all the data, we then have to take all that and crunch the numbers in our brain and create a plan for you. And this period where we're trying to make sense of all this information is called the assessment. And so what that means is we are either trying to support our hypothesis with the findings that we had, or we're refuting our hypothesis or our assumption of what you're going through. And then we plan on implementing various different interventions to help you with your pain relief. And interventions means action. So this can include stretching, massage, electrical stim, heat, ice, exercise, you know, all these other techniques. It can even be hands-on techniques. And the reality is that the key is whether you work with me or another practitioner is that an intervention, and I truly mean one thing at a time, we should be testing interventions one at a time, that it is implemented and tested for its effectiveness. Meaning that the therapist, coach, practitioner, whoever you're working with, whoever implements a stretch or exercise 
has to ask you, how do you feel during the activity and how do you feel as a result? Because this gives us an idea on what's working and what isn't. If you feel better as a result, then that specific professional will either have you do more of that activity, more of that intervention to maximize the benefit and also assign it for homework. If you feel the same, you'll probably be asked to do that activity again. And it might be prescribed for you to do on your own because we know that it's not going to cause you more pain. If you feel worse as a result, then the therapist or professional should also be making changes to the plan to help you experience relief. And let's just clarify the difference between what it's like to feel better and what it's like to feel worse. We know that feeling the same there, when it comes to feeling the same, there should be no change in your symptoms, no change in intensity, no change in type, no change in function, no change in size. Really, everything is just what we call status quo. The definition of feeling better is going to be if you notice that the pain that you're experiencing has reduced in intensity. So even a half point change is going to be a signal that you are doing better. If the size of your pain actually becomes a little bit more localized, a little bit more pinpoint, it gets smaller in size. If the location of your pain changes, if it goes closer to your spine. So what that means is if you are experiencing pain in say your foot and your calf and your foot and calf pain go away, but you're experiencing a bunch of pain in your glute, then we're actually heading in the right direction. That actually is a sign that we are moving in the right direction. That is called the centralization symptoms. And then also, if you feel like you're getting a little bit more sensation in your leg, that is an idea of telling us that the nerve is getting less irritated. We can tell that you're getting worse by some very simple, obvious reasons, but uh, maybe not so obvious to some people, but if your pain intensifies in general, so if it gets closer to a 10, if the size of your pain actually expands, it gets bigger. If the pain gets more diffuse, if the pain actually travels away from your spine. So if you experience pain in your butt, pain in your glute, and then you do a stretch and the pain actually goes down to your foot, you know that you irritated more. And as a result, you are worse. And that's something you want to be able to keep in mind because we need to inform the practitioner, myself, whoever, how you're doing as a result of these interventions. All right. So ideally at the end of the treatment session, towards the end of the treatment session, you should be leaving the session with a little bit more clarity and knowledge of what you're experiencing and a plan of action, you're often going to be provided two to three exercises or interventions that should, that should be helpful. And you should also be provided a plan of care for you. We have to answer the questions, at least a little bit of an approximation of how long it's going to take, how many sessions it's going to be. They should be sharing with you the plan so that you too, you and the practitioner are on the same page. And to be clear, there is a true end goal which is your pain relief. So if you don't feel like you're given the best plan or you have issues with a plan presented to you, share it with them. Because if you have a limited amount of trust in your practitioner, then the outcomes are not going to be as strong as compared to feeling very strongly and trustworthy in regards to your clinician. And most of the time, clinicians are actually focused on providing you the best care and they do have the end game in sight. Throughout this entire time, communication is going to be key throughout the process because what you say is going to help us identify what can help you. The tough thing about pain is that unlike blood sugar and blood pressure, where there is a true scientific test where we can identify how many grams of sugar or how many millimeters of mercury is your blood pressure, pain is an individual experience, meaning that we're relying on you 
to tell us whether or not the intervention is working. And if we don't know, then we are going to have a tough time helping you. Now, the process I just described is what is done in an in-person session. This is actually not too far off from the way that I work with my clients in my virtual sciatica pain management consultations. I'm just not there to feel with my hands. But the good news is that with the years of working with others suffering through sciatica pain, I've actually been able to help so many people without having to do hands-on work. And the biggest part to this success is listening to you, the client, and understanding what is best for you. Because again, you telling us what works and what doesn't is going to drive our care. So there you have it, a clear, structured way in which an evaluation for sciatica pain can occur. As long as you can share with your provider how you're feeling, then they can make the necessary changes and you should be in a good spot. And if you ever need help in recovery, then you can always reach out to us at info at ifixyoursciatica.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you got some help from today's podcast. And for more info, check us out at ifixyoursciatica.com. Have a fantastic and pain-free day. No patient-therapist relationship is formed by listening to this podcast. We are not providing medical advice, and all information should be confirmed by a medical provider. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.